Green Mountain Dental Group is a family-owned business that has been a staple in Lakewood for over 40 years. Whether it's cosmetic, oral surgery, or preventative dentistry, at Green Mountain Dental Group you will find nothing but the best. We have chosen Green Mountain Dental and will continue to attend Green Mountain Dental because of the superior care that we receive from them. Their facility is amazing and above all, it's the personal touch that we receive from the people there, including Dr. Ben Jr. and Ann and Mary and Sherry and Marie. They've known me was my husband, my children, and now my grandchildren, and are just incredible with all of us. That was Annette. She's been a patient at Green Mountain Dental Group since 1976 and truly loves their service. Never did I think in 1976 how blessed we would be to recognize the people at Green Mountain Dental and are so thankful that they have been a part of our lives. For all new patients, Green Mountain Dental Group offers free teeth whitening trays when you schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam. Just mention BSN Denver. Hey everybody, welcome to the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. Before we jump into the show, I want to tell you about this really awesome deal for BSN listeners. If you didn't know by now, Total Beverage is delivering beer, wine, and liquor anywhere in the North Metro area from Wheat Ridge to Erie. For a limited time, Total Beverage is offering $10 off a $50 purchase on their website and app. Use promo code BSN10 to save $10 off a $50 purchase for all your parties and have it delivered straight to your door. Let's jump into the show. Welcome into another episode of the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. I'm AJ Hayfley alongside Nathan Rudolph. We are here on July 5th. We took a day off for the holiday. Rudo, what did you do on your holiday? I went down to my parents' house, drank a lot of beer, Watched a lot of fireworks. Nothing too special. So, a classic American celebration. Very American. Except we had raspberry pie instead of America, or instead of apple pie, so... I went to a friend's house, uh, and we had cherry pie. Hmm. And I thought, huh, that's not apple, and I couldn't <laughs> be more thrilled about it. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'd prefer apple to cherry myself, but... I, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not like a big pie guy. Sure. Are you, are you, we can, get, we can dig into this real quick. Pie, cake, like, is there a, is there a strong preference there for you on those? Pie, unless it's cheesecake. And cheesecake isn't really cake, is it? So. Well, cheesecake, I guess, is like the third one in that category. I guess we could consider it. So pie, <laughs> cake, or cheesecake, and you would go with cheesecake? Cheesecake, number one, all okay. day, for sure. I would, of those three, I would definitely agree. And then I'm I'm pie over cake after that, though. I like my, my fruity pies. I do like fruity pies. <laughs> I see. I do like fruity pies uh, quite a bit. They are tasty, but... There's something about like a good slice, like a good slice of whatever cake I'm in the mood for. I, I don't really have a favorite. I guess if I had to pick one, it would probably be carrot cake, but it's not like such a runaway favorite that I feel confident yeah. in saying that. Sure. And, and I can get behind especially things like carrot cake and, and things as well. But I like cake just by itself. I, when it's like mm -hmm. caked in a pound of icing or there's a bunch of ice cream with it too, Ugh. it's just not for me. 
Yeah, the icing is really like as a kid, I was like icing crazy, right? And then as an adult, I'm like, oh, so much sugar. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's it's interesting um, the way that people like go crazy about these food debates these days. Uh, you know, is a hot dog a sandwich, et cetera, et cetera. And people like dig in and then you'll go out to dinner with somebody and like knowing that they've taken like this hard stance and then they, they order whatever food they were totally against. And they're just like, Oh, I'm feeling it. <laughs> and like, that's the real truth about, about the food stuffs is that, you, you know, yeah, unless we're, we're all pretty cool with most things. Unless it's some kind of food that tastes subjectively awful, like pineapple. Yeah, or pickles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I won't I won't even get near a pickle if I can avoid it. I actually like pickles quite a bit, but Yeah, I most people, people do. Pineapple, like, so I'm 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 not on an island with my pickle hatred, but uh I'm I'm certainly not in the popular camp on that one so it's it's fine it doesn't bother me um let's uh let's get into it today we waited just long enough to record today that the avalanche re-signed nikita zadorov to a one-year contract worth 3.2 million yep any strong feelings about this at all i think it's solid i think it was pretty good middle ground for both sides of this. We we knew Z was going to want a good amount of money and the abs likely weren't going to be in that camp and giving him a one-year deal is a way to say, look, if you really think you're worth that much, go out and prove it. Is first of all, all contracts are prove it contracts. Well, Second sure. of all, uh, what does he have to prove in the next year that, he did not prove in the last two years. Offensive production, number one. This year we were hoping for a good jump in points, and he actually went the wrong direction and only put up 14. You just got to you gotta get yourself closer to that 30-point mark if you want to get paid the big bucks as a defenseman in this league. You just have to. Uh, beyond that consistency, a little bit. He did do a good job of getting that trending in the right direction this year, particularly in the playoffs. I think he was very, very solid, and, and that's why we got to this $3.2 million deal in the first place. But there was a long stretch during the regular season where he would just have brain farts in the defensive zone that you just can't have that often. It does seem like there has been a stagnation in some of his defensive improvements. Yeah. Like, it felt a lot last year like he plateaued quite a bit mm -hmm. uh, in terms of opening up new avenues to believe in the upside. Because there, each each year before last year, there were lots of different things going on where I felt like he keeps adding an element to his game where I keep thinking, okay, well, that ups the ceiling. That ups the ceiling. Right. And this year I did not see as much of that. And it was the same battles with inconsistency, the same battles with being too penalty prone, uh, the same battles with uh, poor execution in front of his own net um, and, and looking a little bit lost at times. 
yeah, I certainly don't think he brought anything new to his game this year. Uh, like I said, near the end of the year, I do think he managed some of those consistency issues a little bit better. He still wasn't great in front of his own net, but he stopped doing the thing where he gets the puck behind his own goal and just turns it over immediately quite as much. So that was nice to, to see less of that. But when you're looking at these are the reasons I want to give him a raise, there aren't that many there. Points pay is something that we talk about all the time. Absolutely. 14 points this year. You're not getting paid much. Right. I it's obviously a little more complex with that than that, especially with defensemen. But seven goals and seven assists in seventy games—it doesn't inspire much confidence. It—it it is a little bit of an interesting situation because once every fifteen games, he would walk in with the puck and just murder a wrist or bar down over a goalie's blocker, and you're like, "Whoa, do that more!" But he just never did it consistently. I will say seven goals last year, uh, second year in a row that he had seven goals after not scoring, not scoring his first goal as an F for quite a long time. Yeah. Uh, I think that's real. Yeah, for sure. I, th- I, I think, think that'll carry over there. Yeah. Uh, the shot is it's wicked, man. It's just inconsistent. And that's why you only see it seven times instead of 15 times. But if he could, if he could even up that into the twelve goal range, and get him into the twenty five point area, right? That's a really big help. Yeah, if he's a ten goal, fifteen assists type guy, then you're talking about a bigger raise, and you're also talking about him maybe replacing some of what we're losing in Tyson Berry. Now, obviously, that's also going to fall on on Makar and Gerard. But if yeah. Zadorov's a twenty five point guy, that alleviates the pressure a bit. Yeah, well, and, and everything counts. You know, if he goes from a 14-point guy to a 25-point guy, then, you know, you're okay with Makar being a 40-point guy instead of a 50-point guy. Right, exactly. So, you know, those those types of uh, in, incremental improvements, even from the bottom guys, is uh, they're, they're, they're meaningful. They're, it's not just like, oh, woohoo, got an extra eight points out of that guy that's eight points that you may not otherwise have gotten from anywhere else uh so it's it's certainly it's not irrelevant but one thing i do think is interesting um about this whole conversation about him having to prove it because we don't know who he is long term and that's one reason why i think the abs are willing to just say you've got two rfa years after this we're not worried about this yeah, right. It, they retain his rights regardless. So they're saying, look, if you want to make that big money on your next contract with us, here's one year. Be a 25-point player for us. Learn right. how to use your physicality in front of your own net like you do at the blue line. Mm-hmm. Do things like that, and then we'll maybe consider paying you that those bigger dollars. The yeah. one concern I have with the setup they have here is if Z doesn't take any steps next year, if he's the exact same player, you're staring down a QO of three point. What is it? 4 million or something, which I think is okay. It's not horrible, but it's probably not the best either. I mean, if he's, I think, I think him at 3.2 is a perfectly acceptable price. Um, 
if you get if if that's the situation next year, he takes absolutely no steps forward, then that's fine. Yeah, it, it, like I said, it, it's not terrible. He'll be okay on that contract, but at the same time, you're going to put yourself in a situation where you're more or less paying him that amount of money to be a fifth or a sixth defenseman for you. Well, and before, I mean, Ben, Ben Sherrod just got three and a half million per year. Yeah, right. So, so, so part of that is just the new NHL and this is what contracts cost now. Yeah. Yep. But I think so. I, uh, I, I would say one other aspect of this, uh, in terms of the prove it. Uh, is that Ian Cole hurt, yeah. Eric Johnson potentially hurt. Uh, even if EJ is around, um, EJ and Makar on the right side, Gerard and Zadorov on the left side, he's going to be able to, he's going to have a wide open door with no Ian Cole and no Tyson Berry. Here's a top four job, go earn it. And he right. has been downright bad. At the beginning of the yeah, last couple of years. Notoriously slow starting player. Right. A and... guy that has had to work his way into it. And I I don't know, man. I think that this is a really big test for him because he's got to smooth that out. Yeah, I agree. Points, he's going to be a top four guy for the first month of the season. He can't be as bad as he has been. He's got to get it together right off the hop. You know, two years ago, it was, oh, he had the holdout in training camp and blah, blah, blah. Last year, no excuse. This year, certainly no excuse. Yeah. No, you know, last year, there was uh, shoulder surgery. You know, this year, there's nothing. There's nothing standing in the way of him having a strong start. And that's... It could be great synergy for both him and the Avs because he's gonna he's gonna need it for sure. He yeah. needs it, and the Avs need it because uh, he's gonna be a top four guy for them right off the hop, and they can't have slow, lethargic, un you know d- disengaged Nikita Zadorov that you know takes six weeks to work his way into caring about the season. Exactly, it for Z. Yes, he still has some unknowns. Yes, we're still trying to figure out exactly what he is, but how many more chances do you give him? He's not young. He's, well, he's not old, but he's 24. Right, but he's 24 with 292 regular season games played. Right. He almost has as many as Kevin Connaughton, who's 28. So it he's not that far from just being what he is in the NHL. And if he comes out and bungles this opportunity to play in the Avs top four, you're very quickly going to slot him in as okay. He is what he is, top f- or fifth or sixth, maybe fourth defenseman that isn't going to score you a ton of points. Yeah, not the the lack of offensive growth has been a disappointment for me. Yeah, uh, I agree. The goal the goal scoring, you know, I I dig, but zero points in twelve playoff games. You know, you're not asking you're not asking Nikita Zadorov to go out and like score you a bunch of points, but you know, Ian Cole found his way to five assists in the postseason. 
Right. I mean, you you got to help on both ends. In the postseason, when Nathan McKinnon's playing thirty games a night, or thirty minutes a night, rather, you got to think you can figure out a way to get an assist or two out of that guy, right? Right. I I mean, you'd just like to see something uh, offensively because there was not a lot there uh, in the postseason. There really wasn't much on on from him on the offensive end. It's really interesting too, because you saw in the world cup or world championships after the season, he jumped on a stacked Russian team and he tried to play super aggressive offensively when he first got there. Mm -hmm. And then the points just don't translate for him. He only scored one point in nine games at that tournament, passing to guys like Ovi and Kucherov, even though he looked like he was really trying to get involved there. So I, I don't know what it is, but, it's just something that isn't coming for him. Yeah, it has something hasn't quite clicked on that side of the ice yet for him. Uh, if it does, his value contract wise is going to skyrocket. Yeah, very much. If you, hmm, that's not the greatest transition. <laughs> We'll just uh, we'll just transition into a normal read because we're going to go ahead and wrap up segment number one here. Before we do, I'm going to remind you guys about our great partner, The Green Solution, which has 17 Colorado locations and an express checkout to get you in and out as fast as possible. Get on your phone right now. Go to their website, mygreensolution.com. Order your flower, concentrates, edibles, and topicals online and head to the closest green solution for pickup. Use promo code BSN20 for 20% off your entire purchase. That is the green solution. I am AJ Hayfley. He is Nathan Rudolph. We are the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage, and we will be right back. Welcome into segment number two here of the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. Attribution is a funny thing when stories like the Zdorov signing hit. Yeah. Uh, Dan Milstein. Uh, Zadorov's agent was the first one to tweet out anything about the Zadorov that I saw about the Zadorov signing. And then Zadorov tweeted out a check mark like two minutes later. <laughs> and nobody else, I immediately had quote tweeted uh, Dan Milstein. And then everybody got to work on trying to figure out the details of it. And then it was funny because it looked like we all got the number at the same time. Yeah. Because it was just like a string of tweets from all of us. Yeah, like uh, six with, different people <laughs> tweeted yeah. out the number within like thirty seconds. Yeah, it was it was pretty funny. Uh, and and then the people who show up ten minutes late to the party just pick one of them and and attribute the the information to that person. <laughs> and it's just like okay. <laughs> Like it's it's like a like why did you how did you pick that person like five people all said the same thing, <laughs> you know? There's yep. a pretty good chance it was the same source telling everybody. Right. <laughs> 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 yeah, it was it was funny to watch, and that stuff always. Uh, one of the things about this job that that makes me laugh uh, is stuff like that, like. Oh well, this you know this person said this. Well, this person said that, and you go and you look at the timestamps, and they're all identical. And you're like, okay, like what are you gonna do? Are you gonna get upset about any of that? Come on. So it's uh it's entertaining to watch. It's it's just one of those things that uh, 
the people who like keep score on like oh which reporter did well this summer which reporter did this or which reporter did that uh it's i always wonder like how do you score that one do you just call it a wash and say nah nobody had it or <laughs> nah, everybody had it <laughs> i never know it always makes me laugh though um because ultimately it's just like so what you know, the, the the point is to have the information, not where it came from. Yep. And I mean, we're all we're all swimming uphill anyway, trying to catch up to the TSN guys and all those cats who are plugged in beyond a means in which is realistically possible for us mere mortals uh, on local beats. Moving on from that, though, uh, we are going to get into you know we've been talking about the Nazem Kadri trade the last two shows. Uh, the impact that it's going to have on the forwards, the defense, all of that. We have looked through things through predominantly burgundy colored glasses this week. And I think it's probably healthy for us to talk about the other side of things. You know, we talked about the defense two days ago and we, we were getting into Callie Rosen and how the guy could be a, a total steal and, he could he could be a valuable addition to that deal that that we end up appreciating long term and not just being like oh remember when, but as a twenty five year old with eight NHL games under his belt, there's a realistic possibility he doesn't turn into anything at all. Yeah, there that's definitely possible. You could get him in the NHL, and he's if he just doesn't have it the game at that level, then he doesn't have it. And as we kind of mentioned on the previous podcast that hurts the value of this trade quite a bit. It looks like a significant overpay by the abs then. It, it could. Um, it, it would be, I think, depending on how things go. Like if, if Barry goes up there and he has a 40 point season and then he walks as a free agent. Yeah. That changes. You know, if, well, of if course Kerfoot can't repeat the success he's had the last two years, which I don't think he'll have a problem doing, but for whatever reason, if it just doesn't work for him and, and it turns out he's not a third line center who can eat a bunch of defensive matchups and is some Selkie nominee wizard, <laughs> like Maple Leafs Twitter has pretended for the last few days. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's been the mental gymnastics from that fan base yeah. has, have been incredible. They have been an Olympic sport of their own. And I have enjoyed every minute of it. <laughs> Kerfoot's a, he's a good player, a very good hockey player. But, uh, if you're on the silky hype train with them, you're in for a surprise. <laughs> the, the description of Alexander Kerfoot as a, as a, and we're both Kerfoot fans and, yeah. and appreciate uh, and, and appreciate who he is and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But the description of Alexander Kerfoot as a Selkie candidate, a wizard defensively, a net, a net front beast and, and an exceptional shooter. Just ain't it, Chief, is it? <laughs> that if, if there's ever a description of a player that should absolutely give you pause <laughs> f- 
for trying to interpret all the fancy stats and all the charts and graphs and everything that all the all the hockey viz guys do a great job of making and you know i certainly buy into their usefulness and i put it out there and always with the caveat of this isn't the full picture but here's a snapshot of kind of who he is right exactly you know you can easily look at those numbers and those are the conclusions that toronto fans have drawn about alexander kerfoot and given that colorado has put themselves in a position to try and get career years out of multiple guys namely andre burakovsky yeah they certainly are doing some of the same things exactly you've gotta you've gotta be careful about how serious you get about buying and drawing really strong conclusions from that kind of underlying data because there's a chance it just might be wildly misleading. Yeah, I we've talked about it before that the question marks they have there, they have they threw a bunch of darts it felt like. They have a Donskoy, they have a Burkowski, they maybe are banking on Jost being something more this year. And we've talked about if all of them hit, the Avs are going to be a cup contender, but the reality is hopefully one of them does. And I don't think you can expect even two of them to really become full-fledged second liners this year. It's really optimistic. Yeah. Uh, I wrote in my post a couple days ago on BSN Denver, uh, which if you haven't read it, you should definitely check it out. I put a lot of interesting little nuggets of information in there about how the abs are kind of hoping on uh, hoping and praying here that you know, the top line does its thing. Nazem Kadri does his thing. And then after that, there's a huge leap of faith. Yep. Colin Wilson is the only forward outside of those top four that has a 40 point season in his career. And it was one year all the way back in 14, 15. Uh, otherwise, Burakovsky's 38 points and Donskoy's uh, 37 points are the highest those guys have scored. Donskoy, of course, is 37 was last year, so you're feeling good about that. Burakovsky's 38 was his uh, first season, so you're feeling less good about that because he scored 25 in the last two years after multiple hand injuries. Right. It's You're looking at these guys as completely unproven entities at, at that scoring pace, and Maybe in Burkowski's case, you see maybe there's a little bit more there that they haven't been getting out of him. Same thing with Donskoy, but they haven't done it until they've done it, right? Yeah, I mean, straight up. You're you're guessing that they can do it until they actually do it. And that and obviously that also includes top prospects like Kale McCarr. Yeah, for sure. You know, I had a I had a friend today text me and say he's gonna have a fifty three point season and I don't care about your guarded optimism or whatever. He's going to have a 53-point season, uh, which I thought was a super arbitrary number. But I decided to go back and look. Any idea when the last time an, a defenseman had as many as 53 points in his rookie season in the NHL? Any idea when it was? Has that happened ever? It has. In I, our lifetimes. Uh, Certainly well, my lifetime. I've been alive the entire life of the Avs, so I would hope so. Um, it's, I don't think it was Barry. 
No, I mean it hasn't happened in the it, it has not happened in Avs history. Oh, you're um, talking about hockey history. Okay. I'm talking hockey history. The last defenseman to score as many as 53 points in his rookie season. Oh man, I'm not sure. It was a Hall of Famer, but it was in 1991-92 when Nicholas Lidstrom scored 60. Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah, so like one of the best defensemen ever. <laughs> yeah. So when we talk about tempering Makar expectations, that's why. Yeah. No, I, look, if he scores 50, I'll be over the moon about it. But if he hits 40, I'm, I'm celebrating big time. Yeah. 40 is the goal that I'm, I'm hoping for out of Makar this year. 30 is kind of my realistic benchmark. Yeah. I, I, I think 30 is the line of where you're like, he was fine. I'd be a little disappointed if he gets less than that, especially with power play one time that he should be getting. Yeah. If he has 30, it'll be kind of like his freshman year at UMass where you're like, okay, something to build off of, but he has right. to build off of it. Exactly. Because if his sophomore year in the NHL looks anything like the sophomore year. Yeah, well, uh, we might have a Hall of Famer. Then. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, I There's a lot of hope here. That's And that's kind of what we're talking about here today. Is that beyond beyond those four guys in the forward core... You know, and I think Andre Burakovsky is right at the heart of this. They gave up two two picks, you know, in the second and third rounds, and people always dismiss those picks and like, oh, well, what have they gotten out of those rounds anyway? And oh, those picks are irrelevant. And oh, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, hey, if you want to trade second and third round picks, you know, Marcus Johansson got traded for two second rounders uh, a couple years ago. Right. It- and, like, that dude was way more established than Burakovsky. Yeah. Regardless of how you feel about the value of the picks within the ads organization, on the open market, those picks have a certain value to them. And a second and a third feels like a lot to give up for a guy that has never had a 40-point season. <laughs> I mean, for a guy that, you know, 25 points last year... <laughs> essentially played bottom six minutes for the entire past two seasons. That's a dude that got outscored by Matt Calvert last season that the Avs went out and picked up and said, Hey, we're going to put in our top six. Right. And like you've said, there are metrics to support that a little bit, but you're, there's not a ton of tangible things that you can grab there and go, this guy is definitely worth a, a second and a third round pick or a top six spot right now. Yeah, the and and the that deal is you want to talk about a prove it deal. Nikita Zadorov's prove it contract is nowhere near whatever Andre Burakovsky is going to have to do this year. Yeah, he's, because he's a he's a big key for not only this next season but the Avs moving forward. If they're right about him, they get a, a very good goal scorer right in the heart of his career. And they don't have to worry about development. They don't have to worry about any of that. He's 24 already. Yeah. So he's expected to produce at a high level this year. Uh, and I've I've said previously, if he can generate 180 shots on goal, he should get to 20 goals. You get 20 goals out of him, you are definitely moving in the right direction. For sure. And, <clears throat> and that's what the Avs are looking for out of, out of a guy on their second line is people who can put the puck in the net. 
So that would be a, a great scenario if he gets there. If he doesn't get there and he has another 12 goal season, that's not good. <laughs> it's it's a big it's a big question mark and the other one is Tyson Jost. Yep. I mean, Jonas Donskoy is less of a question than a lot of these guys. Yeah, he has a good bit more consistency to his game. Yeah, and he's his track record is strong. It's encouraging. I feel very comfortable with whatever Donskoy gives the ass. Because I don't I don't think it'll be a 20-point season. I don't think it'll be a 50-point season. But I think it'll settle right into that 30 to 40 range somewhere in there. If you can get 40, great. If you get 30, it's a little disappointing. But it's still something. It's still something. It's more than what they got out of most of their guys, their depth guys last year. So, yeah. um, but Jost is the other one here where... He technically you can you can say that he improved last year. He went from a 22 point season to a 26 point season. I don't think there's any doubt, particularly in the late second half after his stint in the AHL, he looked significantly better in, in almost every way. But again, there's no solid proof there that he can be a, a 40 plus point player. Right. If if he even makes the jump to 35 points, let's is that is that a disappointment for Tyson Jost? If it's just a 35 point season? Maybe a little bit. I don't think personally I wouldn't be that disappointed because we have Kadri now. And if Jost is a 35 point player that plays on your third line and and can get some PP time or something. That's perfectly fine for me. But I, I look at him and I just don't, I just don't know how to feel because I think, okay, 35 points today. I would probably take that because Hey, improvement. Right. And then you, you sit there and you say, look, we put a 10th overall pick into this guy and you're not even getting, top six player out of that yeah yeah and well and then his contract is up and how do you value him and what's his role moving forward because the one thing the abs did do with their their myriad of moves this year is they they kept their flexibility they didn't lock anybody down outside of donskoy and kadri there's not really any long-term uh anything going on here Of of a 20-man starting lineup, the Abs have four players signed for more than two years. That's it. Yeah. So So, a lot of things are a lot of things are very fluid still. Yeah, and that can be a good thing. It can also be a bad thing. It just kind of depends on how certain things shake out, what people end up signing for, how people play, and what their value is going into the future. Yeah, and when you look at the you look at the defense and one player on that defense is signed for more than two years and it's EJ. Yeah, that's the one that you're like, boy, I don't know about those extra years. And like you fully like Gerard has four RFA years coming up and Makar, same thing. Like there there will be those guys will be here, but of course, but there's a lot of decisions to be made there. There's going to be a lot of balancing yeah. of the roster. And How the much they make yeah. is going to have a major effect on other roster decisions, how the dominoes all kind of fall and shake out. Exactly. And could affect a guy like a long-term deal for Nikita Zadorov, for example. Yeah, I 
No doubt about it. If because Zadorov goes out and scores 30 points this year, the crunch is going to come quick. Yeah, and well, and then you have some interesting decisions to make because you do have Gerard and you do have Byram coming. Yep. And on that left side, you know, how do you value that? Do you move one of them to the right? What happens if Connor Timmons takes a step forward? You know, like it's yeah. it's it the decisions right. are gonna have to be made at some point. Like they're okay with the you know, going back to the Z deal. They're okay kind of kicking down the can down the road a little bit, going one or two years at a time with these guys while they solidify themselves and figure out who they are as NHLers. But they're also entering into a competitive window where they've got to start figuring out how to spend money that is prudent in terms of winning a Stanley Cup and not just focused on giving young guys appropriate uh, raises. Yeah, exactly. And and right now... Their forward core only has one guy on an ELC and Tyson Jost with one year left. Now, Kamenev will be very cheap, close to ELC-type money. <laughs> and then on the back end, you have Makar and one more year of Gerard. So right now, you're going to be making decisions on a lot of players that are going to be expecting significant raises. You're looking at older players, obviously like a Landis guy, going to have to pay a lot of money to keep him around yeah players like i mean it, it gets a little bit dirtier on the defensive side you're probably not looking to retain someone like ian cole based on what other defensemen were bringing in so maybe that's a bit of a positive yeah but you are going to have to talk about paying a, a third or fourth defenseman whether it being paying your own guys in gerard and mccarr or, or going out and getting someone else that's going to request significant money Yeah, uh, you'd have to think the majority, they, they want to save their, their big ticket money on the back end for their internal guys. You would think so on the back end, for sure. It's definitely more of a conversation at the f- position of forward, and this is why I've been a bit down on things like the Belmar signing, because they had an opportunity to get a better grasp on someone like a Cout, if you can throw Colin Wilson into this too, because he's the winger, but a Cout or a Kamenev or even an AJ Greer mm-hmm. that you could get around for cheaper and longer on cheaper contracts. Yeah, I, you know, the more I've looked at the Belmar thing, the more I've been, I, I think the more I get it, just because if their plan is to play him exclusively at center, their really only good force fourth line center option that they have is Kamenev. And obviously you can't rely on him. Right. But I just don't, I, I mean, he's not going to take time away from Greer because Greer isn't going to be your four C. He's not going to take time away from Cout because Cout's not going to be your four C. You know, it's really kind of like Kamenev and then maybe Bowers, but Bowers I... still will, will see. And if for me, I'm like, look, if Belmar pushes Sheldon Dries off the roster. Sure. It, it depends on how it shakes out. But over yeah. the past couple of years, the Avs have never been afraid of playing not so really a center at center in their bottom six. And I'm not saying they'd play Couch or uh, Greer there, but they could move someone else in their lineup to that spot, giving room for for a counter agreer and, and that's the problem i have with it that, right because and again if they move tyson jost down there and then put belmar on his left wing that drives you crazy yeah it's absolutely. like the one thing that you're like burn it down 
Light that contract on fire. This is exactly what we were talking about. This is stupid. Yeah, right. You don't want anything to do with that. And and again, I understand Belmar will be extremely solid in that role. It has nothing to do with the player himself. Absolutely. It has to do with the concept. Yeah. And we promise to talk about development uh, at some point because it is going to be a major conversation. Yeah. Uh, especially in the next couple of years, because finding ways to integrate young guys who have good years in the AHL under your NHL team is a huge part of this. And, you know, we see they're doing it with Pavel Fransuz right now, but that's a whole question mark in and of itself, which is what we're going to talk about next segment. Yep. Because the Avs don't know if they have a game-changing goalie. (laughs) And in order to fight that uncertainty, I've got some game-changing coffee that you can actually rely on. StravaCraft is the CBD-enriched coffee that has really changed lives. They have incredible reviews. Make sure that you check them out. The CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS. It's helped decrease anxiety. You name it. CBD is all natural and not psychoactive. The coffee is rich and tasty, and we couldn't recommend it more to our listeners. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off and use promo code BSN2019 at checkout, and you'll get it shipped straight to your door. That's segment number two. We are the BSN Avalanche Podcast, presented by Total Beverage, and we will be right back. Welcome in third and final segment of the BSN Avalanche Podcast this week. This is uh, presented by Total Beverage. This is uh, our final segment of the week, man. It's a... Fridays always kind of feel weird because I I think about tomorrow, I think about Saturday, and I'm like, well, I'm not doing the podcast, so what am I doing with my life? (laughs) Yeah, well, we got yesterday off too, I guess, so it's extra weird this time. (laughs) Yeah, the the holiday was on a a Thursday is so odd. I because I'm like, do normal people like work today, or did the workplace just say, ah, don't worry about it? And then I'm like, yeah, right. When do American <laughs> companies say, yeah, don't worry about it? That would be never. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I teased goaltenders. We're going to talk about something else. <laughs> Got them again. At, at least to start off. Colorado, we talked about last segment. We talked about a little bit of the uncertainty in the top six. Um, Nikita Gusev is, is still out there. He sure is. And this is a guy who was a seventh round pick of the Tampa Bay lightning in 2012, uh, did not sign with them, had his rights traded to Vegas. Vegas signed him at the end of last season, uh, burned the year off of his one year ELC and, now we're trying to figure it out. Uh, he is a he's an RFA who cannot be offer sheeted, and Vegas is trying to trade him because they are over the cap and they are not going to be able to sign him with reported contract demands in the area of four million dollars per year. This is a guy who scored eighty two points in sixty two games in the KHL last year, uh, and has had three consecutive point per game seasons in the KHL. Obviously, the upside here is you get a guy like Artemi Panarin. You get yeah. a you get a superstar forward with a major discount. 
the downside is that he's one of a handful of Russian players that we've seen come back over after good KHL seasons and doesn't do much for you. Right. It's, it's another question mark as far as the abs are concerned. They're adding to their lineup. Yes. The dude has zero to prove in the KHL at this point. He can't possibly do any better in that league. Oh, he's but been he has, dominant. Right. But he still has zero NHL games. Zero. Not a single one. And you want to pay this guy $4 million? That's not cheap. Beyond that, the fact that he's 26, $2 million, $4 million over two years, and he's a UFA, and he could go anywhere. Yeah. What would you do if you were the Avs? You have the roster that you have. You've made all these moves. You've got your current forward core, got the big glut, but Nikita Gusev is just sitting there. You missed out on our Timmy Panarin. You could go get the potentially the next one. Yeah, I, I think this is, this is a guy that could better. Yeah, he could play. He's a left wing. You could put Landis Cog with Kadri and this guy on your top line and just watch him work. Sure. It, yes, the Ams are crowded at forward, but that's not a reason to not make your team better, especially if it's someone who has the potential to make you significantly better, someone that can fit into your top six. So I would be all for going out and getting the guy, especially because he's another right shot, which the abs kind of need. But the question is, what are you giving up and how do you make the trade work with Vegas there? Are we blowing up our more picks? Because right now we only have two picks in the top hundred for the next draft, and that is not many. And I understand the abs are starting to make pushes to becoming a contender, but the way you make that window longer is by drafting well while you're contending. Yeah. All you need to do is just look at how Chicago and Winnipeg kind of handled, right. you know, their, their quote unquote windows, you know, Chicago, Chicago that window so much by getting key UFA players, not unlike an Artemi Panarin and getting good drafting out of out of players. Right. They had uh, they did a great job. They were for one they were really young. They were like Colorado. They're they were not driven by random success of of older guys like Blake Wheeler and Dustin Bufflin like the Jets have been. Right. Uh they they were the Avs are a lot more of like Chicago where they're built on a lot of young talent all at the same time. And Chicago was able to extend that window because they drafted, they continued to draft well, and they continued to get NHL talent out of uh, their their system, out of the ELCs. And they would get, you know, two years of this ELC or three years of that ELC. And, uh, you know, and then and then they could sign guys to reasonable deals. And, and that's how it works with a young team is you have to keep replenishing because you're going to hit a point where you're young players, it's time to pay them a raise and you're just not going to be able to afford them all. It's just how the cap world works and you have to have that next DLC to come in and, and step in. Well, and then you saw when Chicago started dipping into their, their first round picks and started moving them, their long-term success immediately took a dip. Yep. And then... Uh, you look at what Winnipeg has done. First round picks moved in the last couple of years, and now they may even they may they might be on the outside of the playoff picture looking in because they've taken just enough of a step back. 
uh, and the rest of the centrals is still trying to move forward that, you know, they, they might have to fight for a playoff spot next season instead of fighting for a division title. Right. It's when you're in that conversation, because Winnipeg does have to sign players like Patrick line and, and they have a lot of, big contracts on their books already and they Mm -hmm. don't have the ELCs to come in and step in because of not using those first round picks within their own organization. Absolutely. So when we're talking about the Gusev conversation, you need to be careful with how much draft capital you're comfortable moving out. Um, The other fear with a guy like Gusev is that he turns into another version of Vadim Shipachev. Yep. Who infamously signed with Vegas was one of their like first signings uh, did no, not real hard. <laughs> yeah. Did not make it out of training camp with them only made three appearances for the team uh, before they mutually terminated his contract. And he went back to the KHL. Yeah, you can't, that would not be acceptable. You'd have to have this player's role sorted out on your team before you make this deal and you have to know that he's comfortable playing here. Well, and, and you don't send him to the freaking AHL, right? Exactly. You've, you've got to no know way. that you're, when you get Gusev, that you're not talking about that as a conversation. I don't care how bad the guy is. You know, you don't have the com You don't have the AHL conversation right away. You certainly don't have that expectation, not for a point per game guy in the heart of his prime. Uh, you know, which was also true of of Shipachev a couple of years ago. He was he was a couple of years older. He wasn't twenty six, but coming off of a, a dominant KHL season, yeah. And you just you have to ha- give the opportunity there. You can't start him in the AHL certainly, even if he's a half decent for you in the NHL. Yeah, you just don't do that unless you want to be rid of him. Right. Like that's the, we're trying to piss you off so that you agree to terminate this and we don't have to have your cap on our, uh, held against our books anymore. Right. <laughs> that's, that's that move. Yeah. That, right. There's no, you shouldn't be trading for him in the first place with that as your idea. <laughs> Gusev would certainly give them another interesting top six guy. And then at that point, you're really feeling good about your top six with Burakovsky, Donskoy, Comfer, Jost, all as guys that could potentially fill in and, and take that role, you know, if, if something goes wrong or injuries, right. whatever. But going into the year, you'd feel like you have five top six guys with Gusev obviously is like the big unknown, but still feeling pretty good about it. Uh, would certainly be an interesting addition. Uh, the cost of it, I really don't know what Vegas is asking for. I really, I'm not overly familiar with the with those talks. I really have no idea what the plan is there. Uh, I know the ads have been linked to it, but I don't know if that's people just linking them to it because they see a fit and because they see lots of cap space and they need top six help or because the ads are actually linked to it. I don't know, but it's interesting. What's also interesting is what Colorado's doing in net right now. Uh, free agency came and went. And the expected addition of a veteran third goaltender never happened. In fact, the addition of a third goaltender just never happened. Yeah. Uh, in Adam Werner, we trust maybe. I don't know. <laughs> they added a Hunter Miska on an AHL deal. 
which is that's perfectly fine for the Eagles standpoint. Those are two. That's a goal you can split time with Werner down there and not worry about. But that's not someone the Abs can call up. Right. That's an AHL deal. Uh, not a guy that the Abs can call up and have him be the man. And that would be asking a ton of Adam Werner. First year in North America. 22 years old, you know, has not played at all over here. And then one of your goalies gets hurt. And now you have him in the NHL. I, I mean, it's not I a don't great hate it. spot to be in. It's really I, it's, not, man. It's not a great spot, but you know, if your third goalie has to play more than a couple games as a backup, it's going to be bad news anyway. So I don't hate it. Uh, I, I do. <laughs> that's and that's Honestly. fair. the The other big problem there is we have no proof of concept of what Francis is in the NHL. Right. We it's all projection. You know, we all feel yep. good about it. Um, Paray, Francis was good in his rookie year in the AHL. That's great. Uh, you want to give him? You want to give him another look? Okay, but. If it doesn't work and your next option for a backup is Adam Werner, that's... uh... There's got to be a better plan in place, man. There's got to be something in place for them to buoy against things going wrong here. Right. Uh, I don't mind their roster construction in terms of them relying on optimism of growth for for some of these guys because there's lots of reason to believe that they can. Right now, there's no reason to believe that Adam Werner could play meaningful NHL minutes for you. And we don't even feel that way about Pavel Francouz. He had two very limited appearances in the NHL last season. He is, for all intents and purposes at the NHL level, a complete unknown. We have no real strong idea. Anybody that feels strongly about it is projecting. Yeah. They're guessing just like everybody else. And there's nothing wrong with having a, a positive projection on a player. The problem is what's plan B if the projection isn't hit and Adam Werner is not a plan B. And right now there, there isn't one. Yeah, exactly. The Hunter Miscana AHL deal cannot be considered a plan at all. You can't look at this and say that this is a cogent plan. At the, at the most volatile position in all of sports. Yeah, I have no argument with you there. It's You can even get into the conversation of who is Philip Grubauer, really. It, yes, I think he's a good goaltender. Yes, I think he has starter potential. Can he be the man for an entire season? He's never done that before. The, the entire position is is up in the air. Um, I honestly, I hate it. I hate it a lot. I think it's super irresponsible. Um, as of right now, I hate their plan, but they obviously have time to fix it and to get in there and get something going. Uh, I mean, no matter what they do, it's going to be awkward now. Are you playing Hunter Miska in the ECHL? Are you sure he's on an AHL deal, man? Like I, I hear you, but I fear that they will move Adam Warner down there instead, and don't love that. It would bother me less 
Because the only position I'm okay with playing in the ECHL is goaltender. Sure, goaltenders can't actually develop down there. There's no, yeah. there's no argument with that. But Warner does Warner need that? He's 22. He's been playing in the SHL. I'm not saying that's year. what I want. Right. Any of that? that, that it, but that's a conversation for the the development pod, really. But yeah. And, um. But that's you know, Miska is almost a. Is I would say is almost irrelevant because it's an AHL deal. Yeah, uh, and fair. and the Avs can't call him up. He can't be part of the Avs line of succession. Their actual plan here. Last year they had five goaltenders, which is a real, which makes sense. Uh, this year they've got three, which makes no sense, especially given who they are. It makes no sense whatsoever for them to roll this way. None. Uh, and it's, I think if they were to go into the season like this, it's wildly irresponsible. Uh, they, they absolutely need to shore that up before, uh, before training camp gets here. They need to find an actual third goaltender. I'm not quite that down on it. I do think it's bad. I am disappointed that there isn't more of a plan in place already, but if you need a third goaltender, you can find one in season. Unfortunately, you're probably going to have to give a pick or two up, but we saw Calvin Pickard get traded for a sixth round pick and, and you can get one for pretty cheap in an emergency if you need to. Yeah, but why? Right. That's that's the bad part is you could just have this set and not worry about it. You're setting yourself up to have to give something up that you shouldn't have to. Right. And that's, you can guard against that exact situation with some basic planning. Right. So, do that. <laughs> it's pretty simple, straightforward. Yeah, just do that. Um, while we were recording this segment, JT Confer, Sheldon Dries, and Ryan Graves all filed for salary arbitration. Let's touch on that quickly before we get out of here. Uh, three guys. Yeah. I mean, don't even care about Dries's whatever it'll get done and he'll be a tweener. It's fine. Whatever. Uh, as far as comfort goes, I don't think it's that surprising. This is a tool for the players to use to, to make sure they're getting fair value in negotiations. Mm -hmm. And I don't see that one getting to the actual arbitration hearing. I think the abs will sort it out and get it done, but we'll see. Realistically, I would be surprised if any of these got that far. Yeah, me too, to be fair. Uh, the Graves one might be the most interesting now just because of all the other defensemen they've added, especially mm. if Graves is looking for a one-way type deal. Where do the Avs see him fitting into the lineup and, and where do they value that? That Those could be some interesting questions. Yeah, um, just as interesting as who filed, I think, is who did not. Yeah, I, I was going to um, mention that. Is Kamenev especially not filing? Uh, Kamenev wasn't eligible. Oh, I it thought was, he was. No, coming off his ELC, he was. Yeah, not, I thought he but, was on plus one. My bad. Uh, Burakovsky was, and Lindholm was. Yeah, and um, I think Lindholm will probably just take his QO at the at that point. I, if he can just go back to Sweden for all I care. I mean, but Burakovsky not, not filing, I think is interesting. That um, is, yeah. Because 
his QO is $3.25 million. Yeah. I'd... That's more than he's going to get paid any in any other in any other market. He's I not definitely... going to make that. The only reason he's he got that is because that's what his QO was slated to be. Because uh, that's what he made this last season. So... Yeah, it, I don't... <sighs> I would be very surprised if the Avs wanted to pay him a dollar more than his QO. So, yeah, and what I what I think is interesting from the Avs perspective is, do you maybe try and get him on a two year deal at two point five, or do you just suck it up and say one year at three point two five? You have the money; it's not the concern. I'm pretty sure that they the QO transferred to them, so they it can't, did, so they can't do the two point five thing. What do you mean? They can't like renegotiate it, right? And, and well, I guess they could renegotiate it, but well, that's what I'm saying. Like they can, he's un, he's an unsigned RFA. They could ask yeah. him. They could they could come to an agreement on a two year deal and say, sure. hey, we'll pay you, we'll pay you five million over two I, years, or we'll let you sign your QO at three point two five. I guess that that is true, but I don't know why Burakovsky would ever want that. <laughs> so, well, what do you mean? Because it's five million dollars. If he's going to make 3.25 this year, even if it's on a one year and he'll make 1.75 is what he'd have to sign for in the next year. I, right. But I mean, I if think, he, if he blows it. Sure. But he'd have to really blow it to completely be out of the NHL. I don't, I don't see him valuing an extra year of security there at all. <laughs> I think he'll be just fine to take a one year at three and a quarter and try and earn more and, and go from there if he doesn't. All right. I don't really know. Um, if I was put in that position, I don't know what I would do. Um, there would be a temptation looking at how their career has gone to just take the 5 million and then go from there. Cause if I have, a, if I have two years worth of opportunities likely guaranteed to me, I might take that over one year and they may not even give me a qualifying offer next year if if it doesn't go well. So I mean two years at two and a half is definitely better for the Avs. I think they would love that deal. <laughs> Maybe. I mean it's you're still you're still taking a chance on a guy that you have no idea what he is. You are, but it's cheaper. If it does work out, you have him on another year at what would be a ridiculously cheap deal. Yeah. So that would be a risk I would take if I was the Avs, but not one if I was Burakovsky. Yeah. All right. I just thought it was an interesting quick conversation that we could get into. Um, uh, I think that's it. That's all I've got on my rundown. Sweet. So, and I don't have any more clever transitions to reads. So I think we're just going to get out of here for the week. Uh, This is the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. We'll see you next week. The biggest benefits of CBD are our cognitive, our neuroprotection, neuroregeneration, anti-inflammatory, and then a lot of the most common situations that, that people are taking it are for pain. That is Arthur Jaffe, a former CU Buffs football player and founder of Elixinol, a Colorado-based company focused on providing the highest quality of CBD oil and hemp extracts in the world. Like Arthur mentioned earlier, CBD has significant medical benefits, 
and isn't limited to just athletes. Everyone can take it, from adults and children to even your dog. I wished I would have learned about it or that it would have been more prominent at a younger age to potentially have, have given my father a, a significant opportunity to fight prostate cancer, which ultimately took his life when I was 13. You know, I really think that it would have helped him. Arthur and the folks over at Elixinol's mission is to educate, inspire, and empower others to live naturally healthy, happy lives. To learn more and join the CBD conversation, check out elixinol.com.